Hamada smiled when I entered the door, but I could tell that he was exhausted. As usual, he was sitting behind a worn-out wooden desk in a small pharmacy in the fringes of Old Cairo, the sprawling lower-income neighborhood that covers large parts of the capital's southern perimeters. Dressed in a woolen jumper and a turtleneck shirt to protect against the winter wind, he was finalizing an order of supplies over the phone while simultaneously directing his assistant to the right packs of pills and syrups on the glass shelves covering the walls around him. A steady stream of visitors was calling his, for his attention, buying nappies, painkillers, tramadol, and hair gel, checking their blood pressure, and asking El Doctor for all sorts of medical advice. In his early 30s, with two wives and three kids in two separate homes to support, Hamada was familiar with the routine. For the last five years, he had worked five, six, even seven long days per week in the pharmacy. No holiday throughout this period had amounted to more than four or five days. After a few minutes, the customer cleared for the moment and we got a chance to talk. Hamada invited me to sit down on a chair next to him and he asked his assistant to make us tea. In the previous months, Hamada had developed into an invaluable interlocutor and a good friend. An obsessive Zamalek supporter for more than 20 years, he was immensely knowledgeable about the sports past and present. Whenever I had come to see him in the pharmacy, as well as when we had attended matches together at Cairo Stadium, he had taken pains to provide me with all the details and anecdotes I needed to know. This afternoon in early February 2012, however, both of us found it difficult to formulate thoughts and feelings. Since our last meetings about a week earlier, the stadium massacre in Port Said had taken place. The killing of 72 young football fans had unleashed clashes between protesters and security forces that were bringing central Cairo to a halt. Being a Zamalkawi and of a different generation than the ultras, Hamada had no personal relation to anyone who had been present in Port Said. Nonetheless, as a devoted football supporter, the tragedy affected him profoundly. In face of the unfathomable that had befallen, we drank our tea in silence. Hamada fiddled with a piece of paper, his gaze remote and tired. For want of words, I came up with a suggestion. Perhaps he could finish early so we could watch the semi-final in the Africa Cup of Nations between Ghana and Zambia in a nearby coffee shop. Hamada's reaction was first one of slight confusion, but then he smiled at me, almost embarrassed, and said, and this is a quote, I don't know, Carl, but honestly, until you said it, I didn't know that the semi-final was today, and I didn't know who was playing. It's strange, isn't it? Remember when you asked me about tournaments in the 1990s and 2000s, I knew all the games and all the players, everything, didn't I? I always watched every game and I remembered so many details about each tournament. I'm really good at that. And now I don't even know who is playing in the semi-final. It doesn't matter to me. I cannot think about football any longer. I'm sorry, it just doesn't feel right. Actually, the only one who discusses football with me these days is you. Welcome to Middle East Center Book Talk the Oxford podcast on new books about Middle East. These are books that are written sometimes by members of our community or else books that we're talking about in our community at Oxford. My name is Walter Armbrust. I teach social anthropology of the Middle East in the Middle East Studies program at the University of Oxford. Our speaker for this podcast is Carl Rommel. Carl did his PhD in anthropology at the School of Oriental and African Studies. I know him from having been his external examiner. He finished in 2015. 
After which he had a postdoctoral fellowship for a year at the Zentrum Moderner Orient in Berlin, followed by a researcher position in a European Research Council funded project at the University of Helsinki called Cross Locations, Rethinking Relative Locations in the Mediterranean. And the, the point of the project, as I understand it, is to understand changes in relations between people and locations in the Mediterranean region. And Carl's dissertation was an ethnography of Egyptian football, a topic that has been crying out for attention for about 50 years. He happens to have been researching the book during the revolution that began in 2011. Because of that, a great deal had to be said about the role of the football ultras in the revolution. But Carl's research goes much further than revolutionary politics. And a book based on the gestation is now out, published by the University of Texas Press. And the title is Egypt's Football Revolution, Emotion, Masculinity, and Uneasy Politics. So Carl, welcome to the Middle East Center community, at least virtually speaking. One day we hope to have you actually in our midst talking about your research face to face. So, so let me ask you first uh, about writing the book. Tell us something about how the writing of your book proceeded. What made you want to write about football? I mean, it's almost a cliche to say that everyone in Egypt has to be either an Ahlawi or a Zamalikawi, a follower of one of the two most famous professional football clubs in Egypt. Was that truism about Ahli and Zamalek a starting point for the ethnography, or did you see it ultimately as an impediment to the ethnography? How did you go about formulating your research interests and getting into your field site? So thank you first for inviting me. It's great to be here, Walter. So I think it was a little bit of a starting point. As many others, I came to Egypt first to, to study Arabic back in 2007 and 2008, and always been a big football fan and always been watching football wherever I've been traveling. But it was something with football in Egypt that sort of caught my attention even more than in many other places. And it was this fact that football seemed to be absolutely everywhere in the street and always in urban space. So in all these cafes where people were watching the game all over the media, it was almost difficult to have any type of conversation with people without touching on the topic. And then obviously this thing, Ahli Zamalik being these two big clubs, right? So when I, a couple of years later, wanted to, to set up a research project for a PhD, this was something I wanted to do something about, trying to sort of interrogate how this, this sort of world of football that seemed to be everywhere was, was creating a baseline for creating some sort of everyday masculinity in Cairo. Now, what happened was that I, I started my PhD in late 2010, and, and just a few months later, of course, the, the revolution happened in, in January 2011. And after that, the field sort of transformed beyond recognition. So instead of studying this, when I came to Cairo for my actual fieldwork, so the main fieldwork for this book was happened between August 2011 and, and March 2013. Football was not at all this sort of everyday background noise that I sort of imagine it to be or, or thought of it was when I did my Arabic studies, but it was rather this extremely politicized thing that was at the same time everywhere. It was in the middle of the political transformation, but also disappearing because people said that, oh, we used to like football in the past, but nowadays we don't really care that much about the game anymore. So instead of studying this thing that was just an everyday phenomenon, I'm starting to study this thing that was changing all the time. So the book is basically this story about a, a hugely important popular cultural phenomena, football in Egypt, that used to be extremely big, but then was sort of transforming and disappearing over time 
in tandem with the revolutionary transition. So it's in this sense, it's sort of a rise and fall story of, of football and how it's been taking all these political effects. In your dissertation, you had quite a bit to say about the decade leading up to the revolution, assuming that probably that remains in the book. What was important about football in the decade leading up to the revolution? So this is, this is sort of the, the starting point for the book and it's the first two chapters, which talk about football in the, the late Mubarak era. And it, 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 I really start my narrative in 1990s when Egypt reached the World Cup in Italy, the first World Cup since 1934, so it was quite a big event. But the main focus is on the last five years before the revolution, so say from 2006 until 2011 when Egypt was extremely successful. And this is the, the sort of main, the most obvious thing that they won three consecutive Africa Cup of Nations, uh, the national team. And Akli was also very successful in the African Champions League. So what I'm trying to argue here is that there was this enormous football hype, unprecedented football hype in Egypt during this period, building up through the 90s and 2000s and being really sort of climaxing in the, in the last years before 2011. And I'm trying to delineate why that happened and the, the different sort of uh, components that came together in this big hype. And it was, on the one hand, new funding for football teams, semi-public football teams like state institutions owning these teams, like the military, the police, oil companies owning football teams and channeling money into the game. There was a big, big rise of satellite television, which picked up Egyptian football and domestic football in particular very, very strongly. At one point in time, just before 2011, there were was almost 10 different channels in Egypt only showing football. So like football only for satellite television channels. Football was also extremely present in, in popular culture, in pop songs and, and in, in the movies in this period. And then, of course, you had all these great results. You know, the, the Egyptian teams were so successful. And my argument in, in this, especially in the first chapter of the book, is that these things came together in this big, what I call a football bubble that sort of encapsulated the nation and made football a very central feature of, of the national formation at the time. And it sort of delineated a, a way of being a normal Egyptian man, basically. So if you were a normal Egyptian guy, man at the time, you, you had to sort of support, be a football fan and you had to like football. You had to be, feel strongly for football. This is what is an emotional hype around the game. And what was, to cut the long story short, uh, one of the most important things about this was also that the Mubarak family embodied this normal football guy who was not necessarily very intellectual, not, not particularly Muslim, but not too Muslim in this sort of Muslim brotherhood sort of sense. So this normal football person, which was also, what was embodied by the Mubarak family, by Hosni Mubarak, but also by his two sons, Alain and Gamal. And this became a way for the ruling family to be one with the people in a very positive and optimistic and upbeat way because the Egyptians teams were winning all the time. So it was a successful version of the Egyptian nation, which was very normalized and which the Mubarak family could tap into. And hence football became a very important part of the sort of soft power of the, of the regime, I suppose. Okay. So the revolution begins in 2011 and goes on through 2012. And one of the claims that one constantly heard was that football ultras had played uh, a key role in fighting against security forces. And yet by 2012, the general public was starting to become quite wary of the violence that was going on in the street and perhaps was, was blaming this on the same young men that were earlier 
you know, sort of held up as a, as a kind of the loyal foot soldiers of the revolution, I guess. What's your take on that dynamic? I mean, you know, what was your experience of interacting with ultras? I mean, how did they see their role in the revolution? And was the sort of public discourse about them accurate or revealing about something? Uh, I think it's it's a great question. It's it's, it's I'm spending like three chapters in the book trying to talk about the, the ultras' role in in the revolution uh, in, in many, from many different angles. But I think this standard narrative about the ultras being very important, fighting back the police in Tahrir Square and Mohammed Mahmoud Street and these places, is accurate. Uh, they, they played an important role, and, and partly because they had an experience of fighting the police before uh, 2011, because they had been the ultras fans are this new type of football fans that evolved in Egypt from 2007 onwards, and much younger type of, of fans with a different type of of fandom that was very much in opposition to to the way Mubarak uh, and the, the media was running their type of football in, at the time. And because of that, the police, they were ostracized by the media and also very much securitized and sort of persecuted by the police forces. So they had this experience of fighting the police before 2011, which they then took on into the streets and, and became an important part of the revolutionary transformation in, in 2011. Now, what I'm trying to do in this book is also to say that the revolution of the ultras was, was bigger than that. It was also, which I just mentioned, a way of challenging the way the emotional political bubble that, that, that football had constituted during the Mubarak era. So if, if Mubarak had used football in one way to, to stake out a, a version of the nation that was very suitable for him and his, and his regime, the ultras had a very different way of engaging emotionally with the game from 2007 onwards. That was more internationally oriented, more younger, more do it yourself, not so dependent on the media, more about like doing your own flags and chants and songs and dance at the stadium, very much stadium focused instead of media focused, very much focused on social media rather than satellite television. It was a different, totally different football universe that was sort of challenging the way in which uh, football had been mediatized and supported and picked up by the regime and, and by establishment actors in the run-up to the revolution. So the Egypt's football revolution that I'm talking about, the, the title of the book, is a bigger thing than just the ultras being fighting the police in the streets, even though that was part of the thing as well. It was also this emotional challenge, a, a totally different style of being a football fan that also staked out a different way of being an Egyptian uh, national man, I suppose, that okay. then came to overtake uh, Mubarak's football nation during the revolutionary uh, uh, year. I, yeah. I wanted to ask you about emotion. The book, you know, is brilliant at, at uh, sort of dissecting the politics of Egyptian football, but the politics are refracted through masculinity and emotion, which are mentioned in the title of the book. Why emotion? I mean, what, what caused you to make that kind of the thing that helped to kind of distribute and organize politics? So for several reasons. First of all, I think it's, um, well, I think, as I just said about what, what was happening during the Mubarak era, the, the way in which football was, why football became so powerful as this, this vehicle to stake out a version of the nation that was so useful and beneficial for the Mubarak regime was also because it is such an emotionally attractive thing, it also draws a lot of people to it, right? So it's, it's obvious that football 
becomes this powerful vehicle for mobilization because it's such an emotional thing that that draws people into this this world but i also think there is something and, and the way in which it delineates the way of being an egyptian citizen an egyptian man is through not only making people talk and behave in certain ways but also feel in certain ways for the nation and i'm, I'm using i'm picking up a lot of Anne stoller's work on affective states you know affect and emotion i'm, I'm delineating a little bit about between the two concepts in the book but not not so much necessarily and and i'm saying both that the football is very powerful and in the egyptian case especially to create this sort of affective state of, of defining how people should feel for football and also for the nation but that is also always a volatile type of politics because you cannot never really control emotions they, they are diff they're, they're very powerful but also uh, always um, fragile in a way. Right? Although, although presumably the, the normative construct of masculinity, you know, kind of demands the suppression of emotion. True, true. That's that's maybe the, the stereotype about that. But I, 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 for me, this is in in case of football, it's definitely not the case. You know, you are supposed to feel very strongly for the football team, and the ultras are all about like creating strong emotional performances, strong emotional communities at the stadium. That's that's what it's all about. Otherwise, it would never have drawn in hundreds of thousands of, of young kids in Egypt to to this thing if it if it wasn't fun. You know, this is the main thing. All people that my interlocutors, my ultras friends, they always talk about how that this is the best thing, yeah. the, the thing they like, they love the most to do to stand there. Well, at the well, well that, that that actually leads to the next question I wanted to ask you, which is, I mean, you know, in a way, to you know, kind of to force football into the mold of politics kind of kills it in a way. I mean, you know, it's a game that people love, it's a game that people enjoy. And and this perhaps is a way to kind of gesture towards where your book leads in the end. Because I know that you're aware of this from, from having read your dissertation. And so, you know, the joy of the game, did, did that eventually transcend the politics? Did it sort of merge with the politics? You know, do people still love playing football? And, and, and where did the politics of the revolutionary period yeah, probably the, the, the final part of my of the title, right? So Egypt's football revolution, emotion, masculinity and uneasy politics, right? So uh, one thing that is popping up in several chapters in the book and which wasn't really that highlighted in this dissertation, but much more emphasized now in the book is this way in which, well, as, as this passage that I read initially hints at, and this is part of a chapter when I talk a lot about how fans who used to be extremely invested in football extremely passionate about the game lost their interest and their passions and their feelings for football especially after this very tragic stadium massacre of 72 ultras fans in port said mm. on the 1st of february 2012. this is a process that had been going on for a while already before that but after that it was became widespread a lot of people felt that we cannot really care about this sport anymore partly because so many people have died, but the way they formulated it, and this is the important thing, is because the, the game has been politicized. It's been entangled with politics, siasa, right? So here you have the problem that when it became articulated that football had been politicized, and, and this started to happen slightly before 2011, but then became accentuated and much more widespread in 2011 and 2012, it became more and more difficult for people to, to feel and care about the game because there was some sort of tension between, on the one hand, football being this 
this space of joy and freedom and, and pleasure and politics, which had all these uneasy connotations of uncertainty, of violence, of seriousness, I suppose, uh, which made it difficult for a lot of people to feel for the game. And I'm trying to delineate that through an ethnographic study of discussions, debates, but also experiences of Siasa politics in Egypt and how people talk about it and also feel politics in different ways and how that it's always sort of connoting these feelings of unease and, and anxieties in many different ways and how that has led over time to football becoming more and more difficult to feel for and care for in the way it people did before 2011. And as I say in the postscript, which deals with um, the last two years, 2018 and, 20, or 2018 and 2019, when Egypt reached the World Cup in 2018 and hosted the African Cup of Nations 2019, this anxiety, this ambivalence is still there. Even though Mohamed Salah, the, the new big football superstar, is the big best player ever, Egypt has reached the World Cup, which it didn't do during the Mubarak era, except for 1990, there was still not at all the same type of hype around the game. And part of that was because a lot of fans felt that they had realized after revolution, they had been sort of fooled by this big football hype and they didn't want that to be recreated. So it was always an anxiety. It's like, do we really want to wholeheartedly support this football team again? There are, there, there's a risk, right, of, of, of getting back to the same politicization that they had sort of been managed to to get away from during the during the revolutionary era. Mm. Um, so there is this anxiety that I'm trying to to delineate in the book in several chapters. Mm. Two more linked questions. First of all, are you continuing to do research on football specifically, or are you moving into new directions? And secondly, if one were, I, I mean, I your book was brilliant. I mean, it's a brilliant book based on a, on a brilliant dissertation, which I loved reading. But is it the last word on football? If one were to, to continue doing, to, if somebody else were to do research on football, what would you want them, what would you tell them to look at? Uh, this is this is a good question. I'm, I'm sort of still doing it, but in a slightly different way. I'm, I'm looking more at youth football and the way in which... Uh, sort of everyday football, I'm sort of back to this everyday football thing that I, I was sort of starting out with before the revolution struck and looking at the emergence of these small new football pitches all over Cairo and the sort of, the, the, but more from a sort of investor perspective uh, rather than actually the, the game itself. I think, yeah, it's a good question. Um, there are several obvious options. There's this, um, I'm also looking at that a little bit in the paper I'm writing at the moment about um, the, the sort of religious connotations around the game, the, the, the sort of this blatant fact that a lot of people have been mentioning but never really understood that there are absolutely very few Christian Egyptians who, who have been representing, for, like there's been one Egyptian player ever in the national team uh, over hundreds, more than 100 years. There is something there with, with um, the way in which football is coded as, as Muslim, but also about uh, obviously some sort of discrimination to, at many multiple levels that, that makes yeah, that. I, I'm assuming in real life, Christians, Christian kids play football as much as Muslim kids. Absolutely, they do. But for some reason, they never really reach the top. And that's, that, that's something that could be, I don't know, looked at somehow. If it's possible, I, I'm not really sure. Um, I'm not exactly sure. What, like in, in terms of fan culture, the ultras are not really there anymore. 
Ultras Ahlawi, the biggest Ultras group, was dissolved in 2018. So they they just don't exist. Uh, Ultras Zamal, uh, White Knights, which is the Ultras supporting Zamalek, the second biggest club in Cairo, they're still around, but they're quite inactive. So that's sort of the thing that I've been writing about, about the, the politicization of the game and all that, seems to be sort of disappearing, a lot of that. Although, of course, at the same time, this hesitancy for, for football to come back, it's, it will wane with time. It will disappear. I, I'm sure football will come back and be enormously popular. It is enormously popular in Egypt today. Yeah. As, as it is everywhere. Anything else you want to say? No, maybe also also mention that this unease, this anxiety about politics, CS, uh, is something that pops up also in the ultras chapters all the time, where I'm running an argument about, or I'm showing through my material that the ultras were constantly accused by the media for being political. Okay, so that was one of the main ways in which they were demonized uh, by by the media and by the establishment actors that they were trying to when they were trying to revolutionize egyptian football they, they were always considered political meaning that they were fighting for their own specific demands their own specific not for the nation as a whole right at the same time the ultras constantly tried to to say we are not political either by saying okay we are only football fans we're not into politics or by saying that we are pure nationalist than everyone else. We are fighting for the good of the whole people, for the entire Egyptian people. At, for a moment when the ultras managed to stay very strong and have a very strong say in Egyptian politics and in the revolutionary transition, they managed to pull off this sort of balancing act between being a very forceful force and doing a lot of things and running campaigns for change and justice and everything without looking political. But mm -hmm. in the end, they lost that ability for a number of reasons that I outlined. Yeah. Which, which was this remarkable. Some... Yeah. Yeah. You know, prior, prior to the revolution, I mean, ultras would be the sort of people that many middle-class people would fear. And, you know, there was a movie yeah. that was in the theater just before the revolution came out called 678, which is about sexual exactly. harassment, um, in which one of the characters, one of the female characters is raped in the aftermath of a football match by- I mentioned that, I mentioned that in one chapter, yeah. Ultras, ultras like people who kind of look a little bit like, kind of like, like they're serious fans like ultras perhaps so so it was indeed a you know a very interesting you know balancing act that they were able to achieve during the revolution there was for a year there there was this exceptional moment when they somehow tried to be both very active and very forward-looking and and like doing all these things and affecting all this change without looking political but then they somehow lost that ability and then they sort of also became very marginalized from the revolutionary struggle. And I'm sort of making an argument and a conclusion that this, this might be something that we might want to consider in for the for the revolutionary moment as a whole in Egypt, that there was always this, this assumption that the revolution should be nationalist for the whole people and not really political in that sense of being for a faction or for a certain class or something. And that it might not be very easy to 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 carry out a revolutionary change if you if you want to stay non-political at the same time. Yeah, and I know that you and other researchers are are doing work on the kind of the post-revolution and you know sort of how people deal with the you know with the letdown from a revolution that was defeated. And you know, for the ultras, I guess the you know, the revolution was their shining moment, and you know the, the letdown must have been particularly hard. 
Very much so. And a lot of the leaders are either in prison or abroad. A lot of people are not living in Egypt anymore or moving on to some other type of career. People are getting, growing older as well. You know, this most of these people were in their early 20s at the time. Now they're in their early 30s and, you know. Yeah. Well, I think on that rather sad note, <laughs> we're going to have to end. Yeah, um, it's been wonderful talking to you. I loved reading your station. I will enjoy reading the book, which I suspect is quite similar to the dissertation, which was one of, one of I have to say, one of the best ones I've read. I've been speaking with author Carl Rommel about his book, Egypt's Football Revolution, Emotion, Masculinity, and Uneasy Politics. And this has been Middle East Center Book Talk. Thank you for listening and goodbye from Oxford.